The battle of Britain is about to begin. podcast. Tonight, we're going to spend some time talking with a good friend of mine who unfortunately has been stuck in a virtual room with me discussing wargaming things. Now, once again, we've talked about a lot of different games. We get off the beaten path every once in a while, but one that we have kind of skirted around is DVG Games Warfighter. Well, tonight, I've got Ben Chi on to talk about the latest things that have hit Kickstarter. Ben, how are you doing tonight? Hi, nice to be back on the show again. How are you it's doing? good to have you on. I'm doing good. I'm I'm in my new podcast studio for the second podcast uh, in the new in the new studio. Two and twenty four hours, uh, so things are good. It's comfortable now. It's not filled with junk, which it probably will be in the next uh, week. All my wargaming stuff, <laughs> but it's good now. So, so tell us a little bit about what's been going on. I mean, you and I talked. Uh, gosh, it must have been almost a year ago uh, that we talked and, and worked mm-hmm. through. Um, you know, talking about leader series, talking about proofreading things, talking about you know, game design. Uh, you have uh, some Warfighter games that have just hit Kickstarter with DVG uh, and have funded, actually. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, so in the last 12 months since we, since we last spoke on the podcast, we've been working on a new Warfighter series um, called Warfighter Mediterranean. So... Previously, Warfighter has already released titles for Warfighter Modern, which is, you know, modern squad level combat, and Warfighter World War II with the European and the Pacific um, settings. And we thought it was time to revisit, you know, Warfighter, um, other parts of World War II, which hadn't been covered. And Warfighter Mediterranean has always been I think on our to-do list for a very long time because if you look at the map of the Mediterranean basin you realize it's actually geographically a really big area you know the northern part of the Mediterranean which is south Europe and Italy the southern part of the Mediterranean which is North Africa uh, the eastern part of the Mediterranean you know which is Israel Lebanon the Balkan states Greece um, the islands all the way up to Yugos, what used to be Yugos, Yugoslavia, you know, um, and to the west, you know, you actually have Spain, right? Before it empties out through Gibraltar and the Straits into the Atlantic. So, geographically, the basin, the Mediterranean basin, is a huge area. And of course, if you look at the history of World War II, a lot of things happened. You know, a lot of all the major battles and the campaigns, and so many nations were involved in. Um, that conflict, you know, in the fighting in and around the Mediterranean area. Of course, typically when we talk about, you know, World War II in the Mediterranean, we go through, we go to the the three big forces, Germans, Italians, and the British, the three big, you know, empires which were fighting for dominance in that area. So we thought, yeah, it's about time we 
started building out and and you know setting our game in that region right well yeah um, because warfighter has has gone through several iterations um can you tell me kind of how it started what was what sure. was the core of warfighter and then we'll walk through some of the design and then how we ended up going through different eras different styles because there's still some other warfighter uh, things that are out there um and uh, and then how we end up back with with mediterranean uh, this this huge uh series of, of expansions yeah I, I think maybe we should you know what i i just realized maybe we should start at the very beginning and just maybe describe what warfighter exactly. is yeah tell, tell people warfighter. and, and, so, and i'll be honest i still haven't played it i have it on tabletop sim i've looked at it flipped through the rules um but i am in dvg game overload right now and i'm sitting here laughing looking at my uh shelf devoted to dvg games with at least my most of my air leaders are open uh corsair leader is still in shrink wrap so <laughs> but no, the rest I, of them have been opened um, okay, so War, Warfighter is basically a squad level card, solitaire card combat game where you put together a squad of uh, between two to six soldiers. You could play with as little as one and as many as eight, I suppose, but typically between two to six, a, a squad level size um select your soldiers um, fit them out with weapons and skills and gear according to the mission um, pick your mission pick your objective and then you basically play solitaire um, by drawing location cards drawing hostile cards drawing event cards and through the rules i suppose you respond and interact and play against the game, against the AI of the game, um, in order to achieve your objective, whatever the objective is. Um, so it, it is a solitaire game. It is very well cut out to be co um, cooperative or collaborative. So you could play with a friend, you know, um, you just decide how you want to split up the squad and who takes control of what. And, you know, just go from there. Um, I would quickly mention because it can be overwhelming to, I guess, for one of a better word, role play. Um, you know, several soldiers at the same time. Because in in some ways, Warfighter is almost like a role playing game. You know, you're you're looking after three or four or five, you know, soldiers or members of a party, and each of them has their stats and gear and skills and weapons and abilities. So one of the facets of warfighter design is there are three levels of soldiers um at the highest level the player soldier is where you can fully customize the soldier so you can freely equip him or her with weapons with skills with abilities um, to your liking and then you have the what we call the non-player soldiers where they come already pre-printed with the skills and weapons on the card so you don't really have to or you cannot actually buy or add skills or weapons to that soldier or what we call the non-player soldier and then finally you have what we call the squad soldiers and the squad soldiers are even more simplified so they don't even have specific weapons allocated to them they just have a simplified hit table based on the hit number and the range and the type of 
you know, the type of attack they make. For example, like ranged attacks or indirect fire attacks, of, for example. Um, to use a cinematic analogy, your player soldiers are basically the stars of the show. So they are like your George and your Brads and your Angelinas, you know, and your Sharons, you know, these and your Scarlets. Exactly. These are your like <laughs> your lead your 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 leads, you know? Um and in you know you know who I'm talking about, right? You know, even so that's that's your player soldiers. Um your non-player soldiers are your supporting actors, like the sidekicks, you know, and the second lieutenant to the captains, you know, your sidekicks. Um, and your squad soldiers are basically the nameless soldier number five, you know, in the background. You know? I would joke and say they're the red shirts in Star Trek. <laughs> they are, and they are exactly the red shirts. You know, they, they will get expended. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what? Tactically, sometimes in Warfighter, you do pick your squad soldiers um, for the express intent that they they do get expanded. Like you know, they're going to draw the enemy's fire so that the rest of the soldiers can carry on the mission. You know, while my squad soldier pins down the hostiles, and eventually he will get overwhelmed. And you know, and and well, it's and, it's yeah. much like an analogy I I used last night, uh, and I think you've said it before. When and we were talking about blood red skies, and, and you know, for people who are used to hardcore simulations, no, no, this is a game that's about a movie that was done from a book that a guy wrote of a battle that a few people might have actually been at. Uh, so it's not the exact things that happened there. It's not a perfect simulation. It's an attempt to be cinematic. And I think the way you explain it with you have your main characters, you have your supporting characters, and then you have, unfortunately, the people that in a war game are going to get expended. Uh, you know, that that is the way the, fl- the game flows. It's not necessarily a card-based version of Squad Leader. It's it's not to that level. Um, and I think that's what makes it interesting to a lot of people. And I've seen, uh, not because I've played, but because I've gone on Board Game Geek and I've, I've seen some of the, the commentary on Facebook um, where people get really attached, obviously, to their player characters and to those soldiers. And so they have the entire write-up. And even, it seems to me, a level beyond what I've seen for some of the Air Leader games, uh, that they have these detailed debriefs of the mission uh, as if they were you know writing a screenplay. So people obviously get get caught up in the three different levels of soldiers that are in the game. Yeah, I I think cinematic is I think one of for one of a better description one of the most thematic elements of Warfighter. That what I've seen, you know, the players who have written after action reports who have asked questions who have you know, taken pictures of their board and posted it for everyone like hey this is what my board looks like before and this is what it looks like after and all my squad was killed you know and and they share all that in, yeah in i the lost show. the game but i'm still going to write an after action which seems common yeah, for and, both and, the leader and uh <laughs> and the warfighter series and and they share that with so much joy and enthusiasm and love for what they have just experienced. It is in a way very thematic, very experiential. The one of the words I you like to use is actually it, it it's the storytelling of of the right. mission that you right. as it unfolds. So, you know, you I you know in their mind's eye they can see like this is a guy group of guys walking through a field, they encounter a tank, you know, they encounter this, they encounter a guard post. Oh, we have to cross the railway, you know, we have to fought the river and we finally got to the objective that's the farm and we have to assault the farm, you know, with a flanking move and, you know, get to the general inside and you know, and it's very, very cinematic. It it's it's like a movie, you know? Um and it plays like a movie. And because of the narrative element of it, the the storytelling element of it, they do get attached sometimes to the to the soldier or to the specific characters. 
um, they get very caught up, I think, in the immersiveness of the story, you know? And Well, I, th- I think there's a blending of games now, and I'd say that looking at my <laughs> my bookcase of shame here. Uh, and, you know, there are people that want to add more narrative and more role-playing flavor to what are ostensibly even miniature and, and other board games. Because I'm looking at the three boxes of Aeronautica Imperialis uh, from Games Workshop that are sitting here. But what the big seller keeps being is the ace cards because people want specific, not just because they're high-performing characters for the game, but people want to have a story. They want to, they they need that storyline um, to kind of go behind what they're pushing around the table, whether it's cards or, or pieces of plastic. But, you know, that, that kind of leads me to the next question that um, Warfighter has gone through several time iterations. So it's covered several periods. Uh, let's talk about the entirety of the franchise because it goes all the way from modern to World War II and then makes a big leap to something that went through Kickstarter and is, uh, I guess, getting ready to go through the delivery process here, hopefully, uh, in another couple months. Yeah. Um, so, Warfighter actually, if, if we take a step back from Warfighter, there was actually a game from 2013 called Rise of the Zombies. Um, it was it actually went to Kickstarter as well, and and you know the game was created funded it was created and and Rise of the Zombies was basically a game set in real time. There was actually a timer that that ran in real time. You know your players, each player would take a character, you know a card and a character on the board, and you would actually play action cards and play location cards and try to lay out a path from your house to the helicopter. And you had to find a way to lay out the path and fight off all the zombies and get to the helicopter before the time ran out. And it was incredibly chaotic because it was meant to represent the chaos of, you know, we're all trying to fight, you know, our way through to to get to safety. And players would then play action cards and fight off the zombies in the, in, 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 how do I say this? In in real time, you know, and, and they would do it simultaneously. So this is the player's turn. So all the players at the same time are playing cards and fighting zombies and somehow in there trying to collaborate and cooperate. Like, you know, do you need me to come help you fight off that horde of zombies or can you please help me with this? I'm stuck here. And, and all of that in real time, right? And the real time is what really drives the pressure up because you can't stop and think and plan. You know, the clock is ticking. And so, so that was basically, you know, the, the grandfather of what in the framework that would become, you know, that we would see in Warfighter. So the feedback from that was that, you know, we could actually, you know, put some guns in this, formalize a bit of the combat system, tighten up some of the things and turn this into a squad combat game. Right. Because the, 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 the basic framework was there that, you know, build, build, build your team, equip them with skills right. and weapons and then lay a path, right? Play your location cards and lay a path from your mission to the objective and achieve the, and accomplish the objective. So that was reworked and refined and became what was the first iteration of Warfighter, which was Warfighter Modern. Um, you know, and as the name suggests, you know, it's, it's squad level combat, um, you know, using modern weapons and modern national forces. And so, because the sandbox system, the combat sandbox was already created and it was already, 
you know ex it's there right it's it's you know how 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 do i say this the mechanics of how to play the game was all established um from there it was a very short step to saying right we have the core box with american soldiers and for example um you know drug cartel hostiles that we're fighting against right in 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 the south american jungle as well as you know um guerrilla fighters from i think the middle east right so that's our those are those are are our hostiles the opponents from there it was not a big leap to saying we could actually produce other forces so you know by default in the box you have american soldiers um you know we could also produce an expansion which brings uh, British soldiers into the game. We could produce another expansion that brings German soldiers into the game, and and so on. Right? So it became a very what's the word for it? it? It became a very natural evolution of the game, where you have a core box with the forces offered in the box, or, or should I say, out of the box, and then adding a bunch of expansions to say look if you enjoy the game and you want to play other forces other nations you can go buy the expansions and add other nations in and you can even mix them up like kind of like a tom clancy rainbow six kind of you know we're gonna have <laughs> right you know, <laughs> it might not be accurate but uh sure is cinematic yeah you know yeah and but you know we have the you know the the the, the laconic russian you know the the the, the funny australian you know <laughs> Uh, although that being said, I, I did see uh, some pretty funny video from uh, 2nd Marine Division that they were conducting uh, training uh, with uh, French Foreign Legion. And it's just funny to see the mix of camouflage patterns and a variety of weapons mm -hmm. as they're they're going through house clearing drills. Uh, and then when it gets to the really funny part, all the hand to hand combat where it's Marines versus French Foreign Legion and, and watching people have to play by the rules. <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, it, it, it was uh, an interesting training uh, evolution to watch. But it. It brings back what you can do in in some of the warfighter series. You can be very multinational, which I think is is one of the appeals. As you guys were going into uh, Mediterranean, uh, that it, it gave you you know a, a lot of forces to choose from and to to build the story around. Yeah. So yeah. So warfighter modern was the first iteration, um, and then f very quickly branching from there was warfighter world war ii and i think at the time although it wasn't explicitly specified right it was actually of course it was europe the eto the european theater of right, operations yeah. so so you had american gis you know patton's army versus um everyone's perennial you know, you know villains right the german the german army so again and again very easily let's build expansions for that so you can have soviet forces in there you can have french you can have polish you know, obviously the British as well. So um, that was World War Two Europe warfighter, right? And I think that really, I think between the first and the second versions of warfighter, it really struck a chord with a lot of players, and very quickly I think then decided we should carry on in the Second World War setting. And the obvious, you know, the most straightforward choice from there was. Pacific. So the third, the the third edition of should I shouldn't say edition. The third iteration of Warfighter was Warfighter World War Two Pacific, um, with U.S. Marines against, of course, the Japanese. And again, you know, 
you, they add, I think with Warfighter Pacific, with the lessons learned and customer and player feedback from the first two games, I think Dan and Kevin and Holly decided to be a bit more ambitious and they decided to expand Warfighter. So you you would now get fortifications. You would now get um, undead. You know, so that's kind of like a World War Z. Yeah, I laughed about that one. You can <laughs> you can end up with zombie hostels. <laughs> yeah, you know, German, German zombie hostels and Japanese skeletal warriors, right? Um, yeah, and what else? And airborne. They introduced airborne missions. So now you could, in as an, as an expansion, you could get US airborne, German airborne, the Forsham Jäger, or the British airborne, the paratroopers, right? Um, and and so again, the game grew and expanded, and more and more expansions, you know, were, were added into the mix. And after that, I think Dan decided to come back to where the game began with modern. So the fourth and fifth iterations, that this was twenty nineteen, um, was Warfighter Shadow War and Warfighter Private Military Contractor or PMC for short. Um, Shadow War is set in the modern era but it is in the world of stealth silent missions so a lot of the gameplay around shadow war isn't so much anymore load up your team load up your weapons go out shoot a bunch of ammo fight your way to the target by sheer brute force if necessary shadow war I would I would estimate adds about maybe twenty percent more rules over the top around the sound the noise management and the stealth management part of the game, and you now have to fit out your soldiers right your 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 troops with night vision goggles and suppressed weapons and silenced weapons and you know silenced ammo, and achieve your mission, but shooting your way in and out is no longer viable. If anything, you know, raising the alarm brings more 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 reinforcements than you can handle, and almost certainly will result in mission failure. So, it actually is possible, if not expected, to carry out a shadow war mission to get from your starting point to the objective and achieve the objective without actually firing a shot or having to, you know, make too much noise. Of course, when you get to the objective and you blow up the hangar or blow up the reactor or you know that's when everything. That's when all hell breaks loose. But by that point, you have already achieved your objective, and you just need to bug out. You know before the reinforcements catch you. Um, and the fifth, and I'll just quickly touch on private military contractor. So that was basically um, the warfighter, but with, as the name suggests, you know contractor rules and and contracts built around the warfighter sandbox. So. You basically play, it's almost a campaign. You play a six-month campaign where as the manager of the company, you go out and bid for contracts. You see what kind of missions and what kind of contracts assignments you get. You hire your contractors, your operators. You equip them, send your operators out to achieve the mission. And again, they may or may not involve gunplay. Right? Sometimes it's just protect the VIP and, and it may or may not involve you know a lot of combat. 
um, and achieve your mission, get paid. So there's actually an accounts receivable and accounts payable step. <laughs> you know, build Ouch, over that's going to hurt my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for and, and you know what? There are players who enjoy that. There, there, there have been players who came back with feedback to say of all the versions of Warfighter, PMC is the best. You know, this is my most, not, I would, I mean, they say it's the best, but that's subjective, right? Or it's my favorite. In the same way that players have come back and said, you know, Warfighter, Shadow War is my favorite. It's like the best iteration. It's the best implementation of the Warfighter sandbox. And and some people just say, look, I just love World War II. You know, it's, it's, it has that a bit of a rawness, a bit of an edge to it, the grittiness to it, you know, that, that modern doesn't quite have. Because in modern, you have all these fancy weapons and fancy equipment and radios and drones and what have you, right? That makes your job so easy. In World War II, you know, it, it is that much more challenging and they like that greediness. So, so, so those were the five, you know, sets that were, that were, have already been published to date. And about, a, like I said, about a year ago now, I think Dan came to us and said, you guys have been talking about Mediterranean and we said, yep, we've been kind of thinking about it and we've researched about it and we kind of know what we want to do with it. Um, we have a story for it if that makes any sense. We have a story um, and we discussed it a bit. And I think when we looked at Mediterranean and we said, look, you know, you have Southern Europe, right? Italy, right? Really Italy and Southern Europe and the culture, the terrain, the weather is so different from that of North Africa, right? It, you know, North Africa is just desert. It's just heat. It's the terrain is your enemy. You know, like forget about the Africa core, right? The terrain itself is just your enemy. If you don't bring along enough canteens, right? You you won't see the end of the mission. Like the Germans don't even have to turn up, you know? Um, and then said, you know what? If that's the case, let's make it two core sets. Let's split let's split it up rather than trying to struggle to, to, to tell one story in one box. Let's split it into two because each geographical area, each region deserves its own setting. So that's that's how Warfighter Mediterranean, so to speak, became Warfighter Mediterranean and Warfighter North Africa. And okay, well let's yeah. yeah, let's talk about those those two um, multinational areas because you know, once again, if you do something straightforward like you know, Europe and Central Europe area, you have uh, fairly defined forces. I mean, there's there's smaller uh, subnational allies that are involved in, in all those. Uh, but you get somewhere like, you know, the Mediterranean and you if you want both sides to be playable in the solitaire regime, oh my gosh, now you've got like long range desert group that has to be friendlies and they also have to be hostiles if someone has Africa core. And, and that seems to lead down an interesting road for expansions. How have, have you guys handled that uh, in your planning? Um, we, I think we, what we did was we sat down, um, we, you know, we looked, we looked at the map of, of, of the Mediterranean um, split it into the regions and then just start listing like all the different forces you know all the different armies or units that fought in each region you know over over the timeline of world war ii from the start of the war to the end of the war right um and 
so let, let me break this up into like the two the, the two regions separately because you know it, it's really tough to conflate it all in one yeah yeah no absolutely and, and of course and in a second actually i will also circle back because i know we've kind of moved on from this but we should give warfighter fantasy a quick mention and we'll circle back to that in a second i, I was so, going to skip it for now but <laughs> i yeah. was going to let you off the hook <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that if only because there's a one or two interesting background, you know, a bit of context and background around warfighter fantasy, right? Um, but so we looked at Mediterranean and, and realized, okay, Mediterranean is club mad, but just not as you know it, you know? <laughs> so this is club mad. Um, this is this is Italy. This is this, These are the Italian forces. And up until now, so, you know, warfighter has been out for like, what, at the time, like six years. And conspicuously, there were no Italian forces at all. You know, you could not buy Italian soldiers or Italian paratroopers right. or anything as 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 right. not even in the battle packs. I don't think so. And it was in a way in intentional because I think sitting at the back of Dan's mind and sitting you know somewhere on our big board of things to do, you know, possible projects was Mediterranean and like don't touch the Italian forces yet. You know, we'll do it. We'll do it justice once we get around to doing the Mediterranean core box, and then we bring in all the Italians, right? And of course, you know, in the history of the Second World War, um, the Italians started fighting on the side of the Axis. And then after the armistice of 1943, you know, they, the country kind of split and, and it, you know, became most majority of the forces became part of the Allied co as, as the co-belligerent force. And, you know, there was a little bit of a civil war as well because the army split into the fascist army, the, the Salo Republican army, and, you know, the the co-belligerent forces, right? So, and, and we looked at the history of it and we realized, you know, the Italian army fought just about everybody at some point in the war, you know, because of the way... Makes it easy. Then you have plenty of people that get to play all the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I never know? have the wrong army to be the bad guys. Yeah, but it, it does make for a very colorful tapestry of, you know, whom whom can we match against it's each other, you know, for the battle packs, how do you want to design it, you know? And so we, we've had, we have a battle pack for the Italian partisans where you have Italian um, civilians, Italian partisans fighting against the fascist army, right? Um, you know, we have a Royal Italian Army standalone pack. We have a Italian Folgori, the paratroopers, you know, which... I guess in terms of stats, they are probably a little better because these are the elite forces, right? These these are the paratroopers. So, you know, you'll find that they have better stats, better equipment, better gear, you know, bet more skills. But because they're paratroopers, the challenges they face, the types of cards they draw, the enemy lines cards they draw, and um, landing zone cards that they draw, um, you know, well, gives it a bigger challenge. Yeah, well. and I wanted to kind of dwell on that because it was it was kind of funny to me as I was sifting through the comments on Kickstarter, the number of uh, specific units that people kind of want simulated because there is an ability to to make you know like for the Germans the Fallschirmjägers feel very different than your regular uh, soldiers out there or different than you know any one of the other formations. And it's funny when you really get down to the minor nations and you tell people, well, yeah, yeah, that country's represented. They're like, yeah, well, those cards, I don't think are going to represent this unit who did this action at this battle. And you're like, 
okay, guys, this is that would be like <laughs> 450 expansion packs. So I'm going to, you know, make a card for the soldiers of a specific elite unit more elite than their own country. So it's um, it, that was interesting to me. And, and, and gamers are always going to do that. They're always going to pick out and look and say, well, you aren't simulating this one you know, unit, this one aircraft, this one group of soldiers, you know, and it's, it's going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think because we, we know how, how many warfighter fans there are out there, the, the, the player base is so huge, right? That no matter what you do, somebody somewhere will like it. And as just as much as somebody somewhere will not like it. You know, it, 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 it's, 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 oh, it's, absolutely. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know what's like, it's, it's, it's the blessing and curse of having a big player base, right? Because you get to the point now where you cannot possibly do something that will satisfy everybody. But what we did was, you know, this is the Mediterranean, right? Um, there were so many forces involved and we said on our first pass, that, that is the first two core boxes and the expansions to go with the first two core boxes. Let's try to cover as much diversity, as much flavor and color and texture as we can. So, you know, we, we, so amongst all the battle packs and all the expansions, you know, we have Italians, you have Germans, you have the British, obviously. Um, we also have Greek mountain infantry in one of them. We have the British SAS in one of the behind the lines missions in Operation Tombola. Um, we have free French forces in the North African, represented in the North African expansion packs. Um, you know, we, we, we tried to, what's the word? We, we tried to include as many different nationalities to reflect the multinational effort you know, that was going on in, in the Mediterranean, you know. So um, I think we have New Zealanders um, in the Battle of Crete. And actually, interestingly, Battle of Crete was actually turned out to be a two-parter. So there's a Battle of Crete 1 and a Battle of Crete 2. And in Battle of Crete 1, you're playing the New Zealanders as your as your allied forces. And in, in the Battle of Crete 2, you're actually playing the German paratroopers, the Fortschirmjäger, um, making the actually making the airborne combat jump into Crete you know, as part of the invasion. Yeah, that doesn't sound like very much fun. That sounds like a way to lose the game a lot. <laughs> How yeah. do you actually win as the Falls from Yakers? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we jumped in and straight away we lost two guys right off the bat, you know, and we struggled yeah, exactly. and struggled and we got to the end, you know, and, you know, the the the, the Cretan partisans came and ambushed and wiped us out and, oh, let's do that again, you know? So yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of like playing Hornet leader against the SA-10. That's awesome. I've lost three of my four fighters and I'm <laughs> just in the uh, standoff zone. I haven't even moved yet. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, so, um, the, you know, that was basically the, the holistic design approach, for want of a better word, as to how we want to break it all down. And we, we actually created a long list that was really, really, really long of all the different battles and scenarios and national packs knowing of course that again you know somebody will be disappointed or somebody will say how, how come you know we how come you know i was so looking forward to the yugoslav partisans like how come you didn't have the yugoslav partisans and i'm like we do have the yugoslav partisans on our long list it just didn't make it to the short list you know because at the back of our minds like okay 
the the Yugoslav partisans, for example, you know, very interesting. You know, they were like almost an army to themselves. They had uniforms. They had like what three hundred, four hundred thousand of them. They 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 were pretty big, you know. Um, but in the larger picture of things, would the average player know about you, the Yugoslav partisans? Are they actually that saleable up front? Well, and yeah. and I think that right there is the crux of the problem of any DVG expansion or any DVG uh, force listing you put into a set is is what do people know about and what do people care about? I mean, I'll use example like in Phantom Leader Deluxe, um, people obviously know the RB66 and, and they want that and they want it for the electronic warfare. Right. But how many people that are playing the Navy care about the Navy's version, the EA3 whale? You know, do they, do they like, eh, do we want that? Do we care about it? You know, and, and then you have this ability to really go down some rabbit holes that are cool, but nobody really cares about and and i use the example because i haven't had a chance to play it yet but you open up uh, phantom leader and you've got a 37s in there which are really cool if you you know you're playing something thematic for uh for south vietnam operations close air support operations but to be honest how many people wake up in the morning and think of oh i want to play a vietnam solitaire air game and i want to play a37s no they're probably thinking phantoms you know thuds things like that so yeah. so i think there's always an interesting balance between offering cool forces that tell a component of the history that people can build their stories around and can can build some enjoyment for the game versus things that you know will sell well because if it came out as a37 tweet leader uh, <laughs> i don't think i don't think i would care about the a37 dragonfly known as the tweet uh you know that that, yeah. that probably wouldn't sell like fandom leader sells so so i know you have a similar problem that especially in the way you build your kickstarter because uh, I, I want to talk about that for a moment is that there you know you have to take a look at what do people want to get you to the different levels because looking at the kickstarter you guys have a very straightforward buy-in for hey you can support us <laughs> with no reward uh, or hey you can do individual uh, copies of you know warfighter mediterranean yeah. warfighter north africa pick up the the stretch goals uh, okay you can do both and then you kind of take the big leap to the okay you can do both plus one of every single expansion so how many expansions are we talking out for <laughs> <laughs> for, for Warfighter Mediterranean, for Mediterranean and North Africa combined, it, it's eighteen. Right. So, right. so that's an interesting, interesting buyout. Because obviously, you can always add expansions in the in the post Kickstarter backer capability. But it's just kind of funny that that for you guys, the majority of your backers literally go for the all in. Uh, literally, they they don't want to seem to pick and choose. They go just just throw the whole thing at me, and I will. I may not care about these forces. I may eventually play them later. <laughs> but but that's where people commit. I think one thing that we've I th I would dare say, and and I know this sounds like, this sounds like a conceit, but I think it's a healthy one. Is I think we've got to a point where we have earned a a, a bit of confidence and a bit of faith from our players that when we release a battle pack or an expansion, um, even though it may be obscure or something they've never heard of, it's going to be good because thematically, narratively, the story behind it has already been worked out. So I'll, I'll just take a quick step backwards and say, you know, in, in our design team of, of the designers and the contributors and we were put, when we were putting all of this together, right? whenever somebody came up and said, hey, I want to pitch the story or pitch the idea of let's do an expansion pack of XYZ, 
and the first thing I would ask is what is your story and, and, and if you don't have that worked out you you know what what how are you going to design your pack how are you going to like figure out you know what your soldiers are going to be like what your missions what your locations and objectives what your composition of cards is going to be like if you don't even have that story worked out so all, all the expansion packs all began with a story right um, I'll give a quick example so in in, in our Mediterranean um, expansion packs somebody came and said you know we should do this this scenario we should do this battle called the charge of the Savioa Cavalleria right and to the Italians it's actually a very famous battle it's the last historically the last known cavalry charge you know like as in horses and sabers uh, against against an enemy and even though this was against the Soviets you know in in like in the Soviet setting right um, I think near the junction of the Don River and the Dnieper rivers um, you know, historically, it was very significant, and to to the Italians, right? It it was a very big propaganda victory because of what you know the the regiment, the Saviola Cavalleria regiment did, you know, at, in their final charge, and they basically charged against the Soviet, you know, such as it is the modern army, you know, with guns and rifles and machine guns, and they were just charging in the battle with sabers and curiously enough grenades. So. And, and it was so fascinating. I looked at it and I, this, this is really fascinating. Like, we really have a good story here. Can we make it work within the Warfighter framework? There's a great story. How, yeah, exactly. How the heck do we make this work inside Warfighter? Yeah, and, 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 we, and they said, go figure it out. people with rules. Yeah, exactly. But go fi figure it out and let's make it because this, this is actually historically significant. It is actually kind of quirky in its own way, but it's actually fun. Once you figure out, like, okay, you know, how are we going to have, we actually have horses, right, you know, <laughs> as, as, as an equipment card, you know, like you have a horse, like you can ride the horse in the battle. Do you, um, do you equip with a good horse or do you get the old nag, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and we're like, okay, there's a sword, you know, a, a saber, you know, a cavalry saber. And and I remember, I remember, you know, one of the designers was saying, yeah, but it's, this is Warfighter World War II, nobody's going to bring a sword. Right, and I said, yeah, but you have to have a sword, if only for the flavor and texture. So give, you know, give the officers the sword. If they don't want to use it, that's fine. But it's actually not ceremonial. They actually went in and thumped, you know, the heads of the enemy with the sword. You know, yeah, they wrote. yeah, exactly. So, so, and and we put it all in, and and that's how you know this battle pack, the charge of the Saviola Cavalleria, came together. Right, and and even though. It might not have been well known, let's say, outside of Italy, right? But, you know, we looked at the story, we developed the story, we built the mechanics to support the telling of that story so that when somebody buys and plays this, you also now can experience what the story was, you know, of, of, of this particular battle, right? Um, and I know somebody might say, the purists might say, but, you know, this wasn't really a Mediterranean setting. And we said, yeah, but mechanically, these are Italian soldiers. So if you use the Mediterranean core box with the Italian gear and skills, that's what's the best fit. So let's, you know, let's not let the little, you know, detail like that, you know, worry about, let's not worry about well, the detail. And, and, I, and I think that when you go back to the core purpose of the Mediterranean box, I think from my perspective, it seemed like you all started saying we want to tell 
the story of Italian forces to start with, because that had really not been even covered, much less whatever the Allies had had done fighting or fighting alongside them, depending which phase of the war we're in. And so to me, it seems appropriate that you take that, even if it isn't a, quote, out of theater fight, uh, it's appropriate to, to tell an interesting uh, historical piece about uh, how the Italians fought. I mean, we, we in, in our design team, we had three um, cultural consultants, for one of a better word, three Italian guys, actually, you know, who volunteered and joined us. And, you know, we called, and this would have been like six or seven months ago. So they saw what we were doing. They gave advice. They gave you know, their, their inputs into the game. They play tested a couple of things for us. Um, I mean, very much so as part of the design team, you know, um, but they, are, they were there to, to ensure that we, the historicity of it, the flavor of it, you know, even the fact checking of it was, was actually spot on. Um, again, a quick example, right? One of our location cards is the Strada Nazionale you know, which is the Italian highway, you know, kind of like the highway that links all the cities up, right? And one of them raised an issue, a question to say, hey, Ben, you know, um, are you sure you want to call it the Strada Nazionale? Because we don't even know whether that existed in the Second World War, right? Like, you know, because the Strada Nazionale was a very 50s, 60s thing, you know, when the government, the federal government decided to build all these you know, fantastic wide, long, straight highways to link up all the cities and join up the country. And the guys went off and researched and came back and said, you know what, you're in luck. Um, it's actually, you know, it's actually been around since the 1930s. So you can actually use it um, in the game because historically it would have already existed, right? And then I raised the question and said, okay, right. So it's the Strata Nazionale, but you know, today it's known as the Autostrada, right? Or the Autostrada del Sol, right? The Highway to the Sun. Um, is it, would it be correct to call it Autostrada or the Strada Nazionale? And again, the guys looked it, looked it up and discussed it. <laughs> that, and said, oh, oh that it. painful level of historical detail. Do I get yeah, the and, exact and, and, right words? And they said, you know what? Strada Nazionale would be accurate because this, what would then become what we know today as the autostrada didn't come into prominence or wasn't in use in the vernacular till about the 50s or the 60s. So, you know, and then we say, okay, let's lock it down. This is the this is the highway card, right? The location highway card and, it, and we will call it the Strada Nazionale, you know, just to make sure we get that bit right. You know, it wouldn't have been wrong if, for example, if we called it autostrada, but, you know, it probably wouldn't have fitted just as well, you know, based on the history of that time. Um, and, 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 you know, that was, that was, what, 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 what's the way to describe it? That was the, you know, the, the cultural and the historical component. Right. That, that, exactly. The, the cultural yeah. historical influence that you, you want to do right by, but you also know that there's going to be things you get wrong between the vernacular, the terminology and everything else. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, but let's, Let's take that as a moment, and and let's let's hold on, Warfighter. Yep. Uh, I alluded to it at the beginning of of the podcast. You and I have been, uh, as I said, locked in a virtual room, yeah. <laughs> beating our heads against the wall, <laughs> uh, and, and talking about a project. We we've talked about it probably for about a year. Um, been working on it for for probably about six months uh, to actually think through and design through and 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 uh, work through. Uh, but something that DVG announced recently is 
kind of the Cold War leader series of games that they have that they're planning on coming out. So both a Eagle leader and then Fulcrum leader. Now, you and I are the poor bastards that are, that are doing Fulcrum <laughs> leader, <laughs> which which is actually fun for me. But, but I wanted to talk about that a little bit because uh, some of those same kind of historical questions come up and things when you need the cultural influence of somebody who has, you know, who has lived behind the Iron Curtain, who understands the history, who's grown up in those countries and and knows uh, what the, the Soviet look on things is. Because I think you and I had a, a very different charter than uh, the team doing Eagle Leader in that we all of a sudden had a game that needed elements that weren't in Hornet leader, that weren't in Phantom leader or IAF leader. We, we needed to represent the Soviet political military structure. Uh, so, so, you know, what were some of the things that you thought of right off the bat when we were, um, when we were kind of spitballing how we would do a Soviet era, uh, aerial war game? Um, I mean, there were a couple of things, right? Like, you know, the, 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 the oversight or, or, I wouldn't say micromanagement, but oversight from all the higher level stakeholders and the hierarchy, right? You know, um, where, where decision making was a bit more constrained and less free flowing and less independent than you know, <laughs> right. the NATO forces. Wasn't like wasn't like Hornet leader where you have a choice of targets. You may not have much of a choice at some point in the game. <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 you know, of course, the ever present political officer, right? The Zempolit. Um, Absolutely. And we said the Zempolit was both, I mean, we can play it for humor and we can play it for accuracy and be maybe a bit of both, you know, because the, the humor is grim, the humor is dark, the humor isn't the kind of haha humor that, you know, <laughs> it's not that kind of humor. It's, it's well, kind of Well, and that's, that's kind of, it, yeah. it is. And I kind of laugh about that at, at times that I think some people... Um, may not understand why we put the Zampolet, something that could be seen in such a negative light, into the game. And and for you know full disclosure, it's gone through several revisions in how we've wanted it to play and how we've wanted it to influence the the player and the decisions they need to make. But there is an element of dark humor in there that we we want the Zampolet to do something you literally didn't think of and go, why did I not see this coming? Why is it this now? hurting me and then the Zamplets do what they did historically that there were times that they went to bat for their commanders and they went to the political structure and said no this guy's doing the best he can I'm his political deputy give us you know another month and we'll get this turned around and and so I think there should be that tension in the game and I know that that we've we've talked through a couple of things that we know we don't want the Zamplet to be a game ender but we also do want there to be times like can I just send the Zamplet on a mission and get them shot down intentionally? Well, <laughs> is yeah. that a problem? Well, what will I get next for my political officer if I do that? So, so I think there's there's some uh, there's some play there, and and I know from my part where I've spent a lot of time working on the scenarios is there's an attempt to tell the Soviet side of the story because for so long in the at least in the United States and specifically in in Western Europe we have known. World War Three and what it would have been from Tom Clancy, and we've known from you know books like Team Yankee, and so it's always very much tied to an offensive 
Soviet mindset and that the, the Russians are going to cross the border tomorrow and they're, they're, that's going to be the problem. Well, from the Soviet side, there was a lot of concern that NATO is going to cross the border tomorrow. <laughs> NATO is doing this exercise as a, as a cover for being able to invade or NATO is just waiting to launch this, this first strike on us to, uh, to you know, keep us from doing whatever. So I think, I think the interesting part is there will be missions um, in both sides of the Cold War series, Cold War leader series, that uh, people may not expect. They may, they may expect all of them to be Red Storm Rising kind of missions, uh, but yeah. there, there, there are Soviet defensive missions when NATO's on the offensive and all of a sudden you're fighting in, in East Germany and in Poland to, to launch your, your airstrikes uh, where, where you're not the offender. You're not the one pushing into the, uh, into the fold of gap. So I think that's going to be one of the interesting parts. Um, I mean, they, we, we are now, what, 30 years, about 30 years from the fall of the Berlin Wall and, you know, the collapse of the Warsaw Pact and, and the Iron Curtain, right? So I think a lot of people may not actually remember, right, the, the sense, uh, the very tangible sense of paranoia and fear through the 70s and 80s, the Cold War, you know, the the shootdown of the Korean Airlines 007, right, over over Kamchatka, the, right. yep. the, the meltdown, right, in Chernobyl, you know, and how the Russians didn't, the Soviets, I should say, didn't tell anybody and covered it up until it couldn't be covered up anymore, and... You know, and how they struggle. Like we know, we, we don't want to tell anybody, and but we have to struggle, and you know, with what we have, and with the containment, and all the paranoia, and and all of that. So, I think you know, it's very easy to forget what it was like at the time. But this this is actually the setting of our game, right? That that whole, you know, nuclear, the the whole menace of nuclear war, and you know, mutual assured, assured destruction, and right, nobody really wants to go to war because we know if we go to war, it will it will end the world like, you know that there, there is no good ending even if you win right oh yeah and and, and uh, yeah i think that's one of the interesting parts as a game designer is, is how do you simulate that tension yeah. because you know you're going to deal with some large kind of invasions i mean we do have a red storm rising kind of scenario in there but there's there's these these missions that you know you have to push up against the nuclear threshold without pushing too far. And so, sure, we've given maybe the Soviet player a level of choice and control over their destiny they might not have had, but there's also a sense of you have to be careful. If you if you truly go out there and you keep hitting every single one of NATO's nuclear capabilities uh, in, in the choice that you're given, then you are going to push NATO to the brink of, of war, yeah. to nuclear war. And, and the things where, where you do have choice as to, to being kind of the master of your own destiny, where you say, all right, I'm going to choose to just hit the airfield instead of hitting their, uh, their newly deployed Pershing SSMs, even if that's the reason we went to war. Even if the reason this scenario is there is to preempt the Pershings being there, I'm at a point where I don't want to push them over the nuclear threshold. So I need to, I need to build some breathing room. I'm going to hit conventional targets. Um, and so I, I think that, that will be fun. Yeah. I mean, the political element, you know, again, very similar to the mechanic in um, a phantom leader and Correct. Israeli Air Force leader. Like the, the political element will be very strong because it actually is one of the factors that governs you know, how you pick your missions and, 
in some ways constrains you know the type of missions you can do right and and of right. course in that mix we you know and we've talked about having the zampolit and 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 i remember thinking we were talking about it and we said let's just play it straight you know the zampolit is there he has a job to do and some of his job is made may, may feel like putting constraints or an obstacle in your path but that is his job you know because it's not his choice right <laughs> it's his job um, but he's also <laughs> on your side you know well, well, you are all on the was, same side yeah that was the interesting part like in phantom leader and and hornet and if there are different varying levels of political constraints sometimes it's just a card that says you either can't attack certain kinds of sites or you can't do certain things early in the turn or like phantom leader that you have a a political track of how how uh overly hostile you know the political climate yeah. is to the level of war that you're waging um and i think we've taken kind of a tweak on that and we've we've made this loyalty track that really is where you and your example it and sometimes they're working for you sometimes they're working against you and and sometimes events conspire against you i mean uh i don't want to give too much away but there are event cards that you could have a great mission and you could come back and all of a sudden one of your pilots is under investigation. And so you have won the mission, but by virtue of an event, now your loyalty goes in a negative direction. And all of a sudden your next choices are really, I have to do well because I have to build back this loyalty. I don't, I'm not so much concerned about um, victory points because I, I can operate for another couple of days in a victory point deficit before the end of the campaign. But if I end up with no loyalty left and I'm, fired and yeah. sent to a gulag then the mission's <laughs> over just as much as if i had you know, not enough victory points so yeah. i think there's some interesting constraints there um that i that i hope players will enjoy i i yeah. i always say that you and i um may have a darker sense of humor than some um but the the intent is for people to understand the paranoia understand the the fear of nuclear war and the the constraints that conventional military operators were put under um that they were given missions to do and and they knew that had there been a conventional war in Europe uh, or in some of these other uh, areas that we're going to to have expansion packs yeah. in that that they they knew there were things they would missions they'd have to carry out but they'd have to be very careful and very very specific not to uh, not to push over into the nuclear uh, regime yeah yeah I mean that that's that's one of the I guess we, we, we I know we've talked so much about that because that's really one of the points of departure that fulcrum leader would have from i would say pretty much most of all the rest of all the other the air leader games right because this is so uniquely from the soviet point of view of things right but of course you know again if we take a step back from that holistically this is your chance to fly you know all the soviet you know all the funky soviet aircraft that that, that was there you know? <laughs> exactly yeah you know, well so let's let's yeah. talk about that a little bit i mean we've, we've obviously got uh, planned in there, um, two versions of the MiG-29, because that is yeah. kind of the the leader of the whole thing. It says fulcrum leader, but we've got um, MiG-23s, yeah. we've got uh, various different, you know, SU-27s are in there. I know I know we've already taken a little bit of uh, of good joking on, on Facebook of, you know, why is it not flanker leader? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. sorry, that's, that well, we ended up with what we did. That's, that's a post-Soviet era expansion, maybe. <laughs> For what Dan handed us to do, we really stop at 1991 with the fall of the Soviet Union. So there are some really cool aircraft that are 
not fielded yet. I know people have asked about, you know, SU-34s, uh, the fullback. They've asked, um, obviously, about advanced versions of the SU-27. And we're just, we're, we're not going to be there in this game. Um, but I think this game is going to tell the, the Cold War story and have a lot of those cool Cold War aircraft like my favorites, you know, the MiG-23 and the SU-24. Um, but it's it's definitely going to be a more Hornet leader style game, not necessarily Thunderbolt Apache leader. So um, there will be air to air, there'll be deep strike missions, uh, there will be a lot of frontal aviation missions, but it won't be uh, tank plinking <laughs> like no. Thunderbolt Apache. <laughs> I, I think maybe someone is going to do uh, Frogfoot Hind Leader, but that's not my project. <laughs> but if if you remember, at one point we were, at one point I think this game was going to be Fishbit Leader. If it, you remember, it was because I love the 1960s, and if if yeah. there's any any era of Soviet <laughs> propaganda and and things that that to me are artistically cool, it's the whole atom punk 1960s spaceman in a little rocket ship yeah. with missiles kind of er- that era for the soviets but uh, i think people might have gotten bored <laughs> with, <laughs> with some of those aircraft or or the obscure ones we would have put in there that they'd never even heard of <laughs> true i mean i i think it's also i think one element of that uh, and i know this sounds terribly cynical but there's an element of that which is around the marketing right like what 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 Oh, absolutely. Put on the title that's actually sexy and catchy and will sell. So, like between Fishbit Leader and Flogger Leader and Falcrum Leader, you know, which which do you think people know without knowing anything about the game, without without going into the context right. or backstory, which, which anything? Which one are they like, going to? Yeah, like, exactly. You know what jumps out at you, and and you know Falcrum, I think you know, and also because of course, again, in the twenty or thirty years since you know. You know the end of where the game finishes, right? In what 1990, 1991, right? We are we are like 30 years down from that. Um, the Falcrum, you know, is still in operation and you know saw service with like what 30, 35 different nations. Um, right. You know, right. so so it is actually quite popular and quite well known and quite wide, quite widespread. You know, um, so yeah, that I think that that was that was again, you know, not to sound cynical or anything, but that was. You know, partly the marketing view of it as well. Oh yeah, well, and you know, let's be honest that that really that was the airplane at the end of the Cold War that was the big scary threat because the Sukhoi was still still had maintenance problems, still had serviceability problems. Yeah. It wasn't where the designers wanted it to be. So when Americans looked at looked across the Iron Curtain, the the fulcrum, the Big Twenty Nine, is what scared everybody. So. I think um, it's it's fitting that that's the core piece of it. I think people may be surprised in how some of the aircraft uh, are modeled, but that's that's part of the Air Leader series constraints uh, is that there's only so fine you can you can cut things, uh, but you want to give the the thematic uh, feel of flying the different aircraft. We always joke about like the A6 Intruder uh, when you have that in in Hornet Leader and Phantom Leader. There's only so many weight points you can give it. You really can't simulate the full bomb load, but you're modeling a heavy, uh, heavy bomb load aircraft. So, so we have that same problem with the SU-24. Um, yeah. It's an amazing yeah. bomber, huge bomb load. Uh, I don't think it will have 28 weight points. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where the things you, have you could to, do with 28 weight points. <laughs> I think that's where you have to gamify it. I mean, you know, ultimately anything that we do that we reduce to a game, we gamify it, right? And and. If we approach this from the point of, for example, somebody saying, you know, it's not accurate or it's not, you know, realistic, 
you know, I guess my view is, but none, nothing, nothing, anything you do when when you simulate it in uh, a game. Yeah, none of the games are going to be. Yeah, no, they're they're a reflection of reality. Yeah, I mean, you you have you and I have been <clears throat> down in the weeds as infantry officers, so we know what it's like in the ground with you know running with guns and everything right and yeah, nothing and that's not warfighter <laughs> yeah none, none of the games you play you know about infantry will even come close to that you know it, everything in the game is a simulation it's just a degree of how abstract you want to make it how right blacks you want right. to make it right advanced squad leader you know or how cinematic you want to make it like warfighter right Let, let's just play a game that tells a story a heroic story you know of of your soldiers you know carrying out the mission and even if they fail right it's still a story worth experiencing and enjoying you know it's it's i mean we've talked about this right we were saying that sometimes it's a shakespearean tragedy but you know what people enjoy shakespearean tragedies as well as much as they experience, yeah. they enjoy a history. Or if, you, or if you have a dark sense of humor like me, you enjoy watching Death of Stalin. And I kind of sometimes think that Fulcrum Leader is going to be Hornet Leader crossed with Death of Stalin. But, but Death <laughs> so of A little bit of dark humor. Death of Stalin is brilliant, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. And it, and it tells, a, in a humorous way, tells a lot of the dark story of, of the paranoia of that era. So so I kind of laugh yeah. and I go, is that where I ended up with Fulcrum Leader? But anyway, so yeah. enough yeah. about Fulcrum Leader. We've, we've given a little bit of a preview that I want to circle yeah. back uh, to one more Warfighter game that we didn't really talk in detail about. So Warfighter Fantasy, what yeah. can you update all of the listeners about um, for that? Okay, so so Fantasy, here, here's an interesting tidbit, right? Fantasy was actually developed alongside Warfighter Modern. So at the point when Dan took all the player feedback and all the customer response and, you know, looked at Rise of the Zombies and said, I'm going to make you know, I'm going to turn this into a squad-level combat game. And it kind of happened both at the same time. So Warfighter Modern and Warfighter Fantasy were actually de developed alongside each other. Obviously, very different genres because I think there's a part of Dan which, you know, which, you know, I think one foot in modern military, but one foot in the world of fantasy because like him like myself like kevin we all you know played dungeons and dragons you know at some point or other so so that's very much in our gamer dna so both games were actually developed together but after that of course warfighter war modern spawned you know world war ii europe and then world war ii pacific and then shadow war and 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 in in a sense not to say that you know fantasy got left behind but because with each iteration of warfighter the, the rules evolved Right, it, they continue to evolve, and when um, Shadow War and Private Military Contractor were released, Dan decided to say, "You know what? I think it's about time to circle back to fantasy and let's bring it back and put it back on, you know, put it back on 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 the project's list." So, a lot of that effort was really taking the current state of rules of Warfighter and retrofitting it back into fantasy and then working forwards from there again because fantasy as you realize you know has a lot of elements that are you know not found in any of the real world warfighters the the rules on magic the rules on spirit warfare spirituality you know the types of monsters you face and even a whole new campaign mapping system right so like what does your party do in between all the dungeon crawls as they go from town to town so all of that was captured and 
you know, and, and simulated and built for Warfighter Fantasy. So Warfighter Fantasy went to Kickstarter, I think about a year ago now, right? And, and you know, it, it again, it funded. So I think in that interim, Dan and Holly have taken a lot of the feedback, a lot of the playtesting and development and have con have been continuing to refine fantasy. So at, at this point of which, which I speak last, I, when the last I heard, um, it was almost done, actually. It's almost done. I think they're just tweaking and, you know, what's the word for it? They're just finalizing all the last twiddly bits and making right. it poly, giving right. it a polish. Um, and then, well, and I think there's yeah. there's always a misunderstanding that oh gee, all I have to do is take the warfighter engine and get rid of guns and leave swords in it, <laughs> and it's not that at all. When you add magic, the spirituality piece, the, the a lot of the different um, you know interactions that are larger than just a uh, or I shouldn't say larger, they're different than how some of the mechanics work in Warfighter Modern and World War II, and then you really add a persistent campaign piece to it, that that takes a tweak that wasn't there in PMC, you know, where you, you do have a financial model, but now you kind of have this, I have to physically move around a map kind of model. Because I think, I think from what I've seen, Dan really wants it to tell a story much like Warfighter does, but allow you to fill in the blanks for the game world that Warfighter, PMC, and, and some of the others don't do. Um, so I, I think that's going to be uh, interesting to see how all that turns out. I, I, I sadly did not back it, and I only backed it, did not back it for one reason. It was a slippery slope for me. And I looked at it, and I'm like, yeah. I'm going to go all in, and I'm going to go for the entire pack. Uh, and I'm like, I just I can't do that right now. <laughs> I have th other things I need to spend my money on. But it was, it was one of those where I realized I would not be happy if I just bought the core set. Yeah. I would want everything because it was such a, a radical departure um from the previous warfighter and quite yeah. honestly it was something i was interested in so um i'll just have to uh end up uh, playing somebody else's set <laughs> after they've backed the entire thing because uh, i didn't or i'll have to have to piecemeal my way through it uh, when it goes to retail on dvg's site but uh, yeah it's it's one of those that looks really interesting to me i'm really really excited to see it come out uh i just wish i'd had the disposable income at the time to go absolutely i need to back that yeah, I, I think I first saw Warfighter Fantasy in its, I wouldn't say embryonic stage, because it was actually pretty much developed already. It's, it's just that the disparity, the disparity between where its development had stopped and where the rest of the Warfighter rule set had evolved for the next two or three years or four years beyond that, it had grown so big, so that you know the the rules had to kind of be brought backward to retrofit with warfighter with warfighter fantasy right and then, and then right. fantasy would then be able to evolve in its own merits from there as in so what what can we actually do around all these you know bits for example body hit locations and the use of mana and spell casting and clerics and all of that you know and, and thief abilities and you know pretty much everything that you associate with a fantasy role-playing game right it's more or less captured in warfighter fantasy so it, it is it awesome. is a radical departure and we have had you know um warfighter players come and said no i i completely am not going to touch that at all you know 
and which is fine. Which is well, fine. which is fine. Although, yeah. although, have you had the uh, the uh, watermelon, uh, the grocery store watermelon guy that we always talk about that we, will we, stand there in the grocery store and say, "I am not buying this watermelon." Do they do they do that on the internet about warfighter fantasy? <laughs> we've, I think we've had that with everything. We've had we've had you have what, and it, and it's we've funny. had watermelon man with, with fantasy. We've we've had watermelon man with. Um, Warfighter I've already seen it with Mediterranean. Yeah, yeah I already yeah. saw it. Well, and we, in a, let's be honest, we haven't even started the Kickstarter for Fulcrum Leader, and we have already had one person say, well, because the Soviets are blue and the bandits that are played by NATO or whatever other force are going to be red, I'm not going to buy this game. And yeah. I said, oh, okay, that's fine. That's that's your decision. You know, I think you're going to miss out on an interesting game. But if you just cannot play a game where the Soviet counters are blue because every other leader game has the the force you play as blue, then that's fine. But <laughs> go your own way. So yeah. it's it's yeah. one of those things. You, you will always have those people that will very loudly and very publicly tell you, I am not playing this game. Okay. Sorry. Well, well, that's. Well, I mean, we've 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 done zero leader, and I think it's exactly been one of the biggest selling, best selling, biggest hits to date. And this is where you're playing the Japanese pilots, right, or the Japanese commander of the pilots. So, right, and know. all of your friendly forces are blue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all the Americans are red. It's horrible, <laughs> sacrilege. Yeah, I know, I know. It's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. so we've been we've been chatting for quite a while, yeah. uh, Ben. I, I I do need to wrap this up so that listeners haven't fallen asleep. Going, we really don't care about hearing Ben and Doug talk about all the games they love and yeah. <laughs> everything else. Um, but uh, thanks for coming on the program. Anything you want to leave the listeners with uh, going into this Kickstarter? I know it's uh, still got uh, quite a few days to go. You guys are funded, which is awesome. Um, anything about the funding or the pledge levels? Um. No, I think we've kept the pledge levels. Again, you know, you've you've alluded to this earlier. We've kept it very straightforward. You know, you can pledge for one one or either core box or both core boxes together, and you can pledge for add-on bundles. So I think they are in bundles of four, eight, and twelve um, expansions, and as well as a monster all-in bundle, which gets you everything. So um, Dan actually has you know, been thinking about how we want to um, introduce the stretch goals for this campaign. And, and I, I, I actually can say, I would, I would be happy to share it here that we have about three or four expansions for Mediterranean, not in the 18, which are actually near complete. So we actually built a lot more than <laughs> we've released upfront and if Dan actually says comes to me and says you know we could take these one or two or three expansions and put them in as high level stretch goals um, I would turn around and say from from a game development point of view you know we just need to finish it off polish it off you know um, finish the artwork and it'll be good to go like it, it's actually ready it's been designed and tested and everything so but this these would actually be the high level stretch goals and for now we just you know, i think we're just trying to see what's the velocity at which the the funding is continuing to grow um, right, and, right and you know how's how how is it going to be sustained um and hopefully if it keeps going like it doesn't actually stall or stop or god forbid go backwards yeah. um 
you know, we would get to the point where we can off. I hopefully, you know, I'm I'm hoping. I'm I mean, I'm on your side of the pledges as well, right? That <laughs> we can offer some of these expansions, and that will really give you very very good value because. I, exactly. I think as it currently is, you you probably you you the the all in package actually gets you a very very good deal on the expansions plus plus you know the core sets, um, but if you could add a few more expansion packs in there, that would be, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for all the information. I uh, really appreciate it. And thanks for uh, showing up on the podcast and talking about uh, Warfighter Mediterranean, Warfighter North Africa, and a little bit about uh, Fulcrum Leader. <laughs> yes. I mean, a pleasure as always like, to be here. Always. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, just want to encourage our listeners to give us some feedback. Let us know what you did or did not like. Let us know what you want to know about Fulcrum Leader. Uh, there is a Facebook group for that out there already. There, or I should say, a page for Cold War Leader. Uh, there are obviously DVG and solo game uh, Facebook groups that these are being discussed in. And as always, on Board Game Geek, you can always go on there, find out some information, and make some comments in the forums. And when Ben and I aren't doing other things, maybe someone will get back to you, <laughs> and we'll try to answer your questions out there. So thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you all later.